Welcome to Meetings with Remarkable Educators. Each podcast is a dialogue between me, Bob Lovemore, and an educator who sees the greatness in their students and touches the whole of their being. These educators defy generalizations. So here's a bit about what they've done and how I came to know them. I can't remember whether I first met Jack at a retreat for leaders in holistic education at Goddard College in Vermont, or when he hosted the International Holistic Education Conference at the University of Toronto. His commitment to the spiritual ground of all life, and especially how it applies to holistic education, has been an inspiration to me and to many, many others. All of us look to Jack for deepening our understanding and our practice. He is truly a giant in our field. Jack Miller has been working in the field of holistic education for over 35 years. He's the author, editor of 20 books on holistic learning and contemplative practices in education, which include The Contemplative Practitioner, The Holistic Curriculum, Transcendental Learning, The Educational Legacy of Alcott, Emerson, Fuller, Peabody, and Thoreau, and the soon-to-be-published Love and Compassion, exploring their role in education. His writing's been translated into nine languages, and the holistic curriculum has provided the program framework for the Equinox Alternative School in Toronto, where Jack has been involved in an advisory role. Jack's worked extensively with holistic educators in Japan, Korea, and Hong Kong for the past 20 years, and has been a visiting professor at universities in Japan and Hong Kong. In 2009, Jack was one of 24 educators invited to Bhutan to help that country develop their educational system so that it supports the country's goal of gross national happiness. Jack teaches courses on holistic education and spirituality education for graduate students and students in the Initial Teacher Education Program at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto, where he is a professor. Everyone here just loves you and so inspired by all that you've done over the years. I'd like to know, what drew you to it? Well, it it comes from uh, my experience in the late 60s. I was a a draft-age American, and uh, having to decide whether if I was called to go to Vietnam, whether I would go or not, that got me, first of all, looking at, uh, it it radicalized me politically. I mean, I, I came from the Midwest, Kansas City, grew up in a very, like, conservative uh, family. So I read. I started reading a lot in like resistance and and nonviolence and the throw. Particularly was important. I've always been throw and Emerson have been so important to me throughout my whole life. But the other thing is I had I had a lot of stress and I wasn't coping very well. So I, I started looking for ways for integrative things. Right, and so I hit upon a book called Yoga, Youth, and Reincarnation by Jess Stern. And in the back of that book were a set of asanas, right? And I just started doing them on my own. And Me too. Really? <laughs> Different book. But I just started doing asanas on my own as yeah, well. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like yoga as, as it is now, right? I mean, there weren't all the studios and everything. And, 
And so immediately after a month of doing them, I, I was doing so much better, right? So I got interested in the Eastern thought and started reading and uh, the teachings of Ram Dass became very important to me and, and my wife. We started listening to these tapes at night and falling asleep to listen to them. <laughs> and in 1974, he was at a conference in Naropa, and he brought Joseph Goldstein in to do meditation at that conference. And so I got these tapes of Joseph Goldstein doing Vipassana meditation, right? And again, I started doing the meditation on my own in 1974, and I've been doing it ever since, right? And I really believe that almost everything that, that's come out of my work has come out of my practice, right? Uh, particularly the, the meditation practice, because it's about, as I understand it, it's, it's about experiencing interconnection at, a, at a, not an intellectual level, but at more an experiential level. So that's how I got into it, right? Yeah, that's uh, thank you. I, I I started in 1977, and I've been going ever since. Yes. Isn't that great? Yes. It's unbelievable, isn't yeah. it? Well, I think there's a whole group of us that incarnated at a certain time. If you look at the dates that Goldstein and these people were born, and it's like a whole, you know, and and hopefully it's not just us that we can help. I mean, that's what our work is: is to you know, encourage other younger people to become involved. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you went to live in Canada. Yes. yes. And were you welcome there? Yes. I, you know, it took a while. I, like I, we left in 1969 and my wife is very important to me in that whole process. She died in 1988 and, uh, but I could have never done it without her support. She was, I did a master's of arts in teaching at Harvard University, and I met her in Boston, right? She, come, she came from an Irish Catholic family, and uh, I'm still close to that family. Um, but, you know, we decided if I was called, we, I would, we would go. And uh, You would leave to Canada? Yeah. I had my ticket, and they, uh, I failed the physical. And it's a whole story I don't need to go into. But I, I passed all those things, and I was very near getting 26 years old, right? And that's when you were free. But I, I was—I don't want to go into the history of my my, my drafting. But I, I was—I was called, and so we decided to go. And I applied immediately to to OISC because it had just started then, right? And they had, and it was, and they were so because they just started, and they had a lot of money in those days. I was accepted right away. I like applied in April, right? And then accepted to go start the doctoral program in in, in June, and, and and did it have a holistic perspective? They, they did not have a holistic perspective, but I was able to uh, I was able to do a thesis on taking Carl Rogers and Robert Cockroft's work about how you could train teachers to be more empathetic and congruent and that kind of thing. Right. So right at the beginning, I was. The, the work of uh, Carl Rogers initially was very important to me and Abe Maslow, right? And then it was humanistic ed. There was no holistic ed at that time. The word was either humanistic or affective or confluent education. And so, um, so I was able to do my doctorate. And then I was hired by OIZ in 19, the fall of 1971 to work in, the, in, in what they had at that field center's. And you, the, the first field center I worked in was in Thunder Bay, which is 200 miles north of Duluth, Minnesota. 
And so I didn't do teaching then, but I worked with school boards. And, and But at that time, in the 70s, it was values education. That's what I was involved in. So I worked with, I, we did conferences and stuff, and uh, the Kohlberg and uh, values clarification work and all of that. That was sort of the work at that time. And uh, But... In 1976, I wrote a book called Humanizing the Classroom, and I took these models of teaching and applied it to humanistic or It was called Models of Teaching, Models in Affective Education. And that was my first, like, dip into, you know, this whole area. And uh, so, yeah. Well, so, so what's going on inside you as you're going through these processes with the field uh, study or whatever it might be, something must be changing inside you. You've been practicing asanas now and you've studied meditation. And yeah, yeah. What's going on inside? Well, I was, I think, again, the meditation and the yoga gave me uh, some inner strength because, again, like going up there into a part of the world that is, uh, again, it's remote, um, and I didn't know anybody when I, me and my wife went up there without any contacts or anything, right? But they were very welcoming. Like they, any help that they, the school people, any help that I could give them. And I was very green then. Like I couldn't <laughs> give them that much. But just, just trying to be helpful, to be present, <laughs> uh, they found that helpful. So over time... I developed like more confidence in working with school people. And it was a great introduction to, to what was going on in the Ontario school system, right? And I did a lot of work with people over the, I was up there 11 years, right? And uh, I worked up in the remote station yes, for 11 yes, years? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so I, I developed a lot of friends and a lot of uh, sense a practice of what was going on, right? And that's helped me tremendously. And I just have one year of full teaching experience, which I had in my MAT program. And so that experience gave me like a grounding to work with, with teachers, right? Like, because most of the po- people at OISE, many of them are just so theoretical and have no like <laughs> experiential <laughs> thing, right? And I think that, and they're very, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying all of them. There's a lot of them that have some teaching experience, but I mean, a lot of them are, are theoreticians, right? So, so that's, so gradually I was gaining confidence in being able to work with people. And I wasn't, and my, it was a very like low key thing in terms of my trying to share my practice, right? I didn't do much at that, in that point in my life, okay? Um, a big turning point in my life was in 1982 when my wife contracted breast cancer. And so we decided, because I had to travel so much in the north, that we should move in the south so I wouldn't be away so much at home, right? So we moved to St. Catharines, Ontario, which is only like an hour outside of Toronto. And that's when I began started teaching at OISE. And in 1985, I taught my first course in holistic curriculum. And it was just like blossoming then, right? And it just, this sounds strange, it just appeared? It just, you know, I can't even recall exactly, uh, you know. uh, Now, one of the things that I had been 
I had written a book in curriculum with another person, and I worked, talked about three positions, transmission, transaction, and transformation, right? And I said, well, if you bring those three, three together, you have something that's holistic, right? And that was sort of the lead-in to that. I'd also written a book in 1980 called The Compassionate Teacher. That was my first coming out, <laughs> you know? And uh, again, it was... Uh, you know, it was a beginner's-like thing. I mean, compared to the stuff that I'm writing now, I didn't have the depth. But it was, you know, I think it, some some people found it helpful, right? And I did talk about my practice in that book, yeah. Were you surprised at the reception that's happened over the years for yourself and your work? Yes, I'm very, like, deeply gratified. And I'm very gratified at the university that I've worked in. Because then in 1988, that course, The Holistic Curriculum... I started requiring students to meditate for six weeks, which in most universities in the U.S., they would just never let you do that, right? I mean, it was a real, like, and I've never, and over the years, I've introduced well over 2,000 teachers to meditative practice, right? And I've never had one who said, I had four out of all those who wouldn't do it for various reasons. And I've never had one who said, I'm really angry that you made me do this, Right. And I, the thing is, I give them a lot of choice. I don't make them, like, this is the one you have to do. I introduce them to eight different types, and then you sort of, as much as possible, work out your practice. And they keep a daily journal, and that's how I, I interact with them, right? And, uh, and I think that's the most important thing I've done as a, as a teacher, is to enter. Because, you know, again, at the end of the six weeks, they write a reflection. And, again, over the years, there's been some amazing things that they've said, right? And, and we, we all know that teacher training in its traditional senses has, is problematic. It very teaches, much. Very teaches much. management, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So what have you noticed from these teachers who you've influenced in the holistic uh, disciplines? Yeah. And again, my reason for do I mean, I, I have to give them a rationale for why they should do this practice, right? And I say it's about presence mostly. I said this when you go into the classroom, this is going to give you a deeper sense of who you are. And, and again, there's a lot of evidence that meditation is very good in terms of dealing with stress, which, again, teaching is a very stressful thing, right? It is. And the, but the other thing is, it's a, like, again, most practices is you sit and look at your own experience, right? So it's a, it's a form of self-learning. And most of our learning in the university is either the professor or the text telling you what to do. So that it's, it's an attempt to bring some kind of holistic experience into higher education. And I, and I don't, you know, I don't think meditation should be the, the thing. There are many different, you know, practices that people could do. I also, in, I guess it was in the 90s, I started a course in spirituality and education. In that course, I just give, give them a choice of a wide range of practices that they can do. So a gratitude journal or whatever, Right. So, um, and what have you noticed of your the people over the years who, who you've worked with? What kinds of things do they bring forward? What kind do they yeah. tend to be more holistic educators? Do they? What what happens to them? Yeah, like we've done we've done two follow up studies with people that have been in my classes, and have continued to do the practice. And um, you know, uh, again. Uh, it's helped them a lot personally, but um, 
I don't think it's like changed, you know, because again, and again, we went through a period in, in Ontario where the conservative government came in and it was a very kind of retro thing. And all the work that I was doing, like when I was in St. Catharines at that period in the 80s, I was working with school boards. They got, they got interested, and the ministry was receptive to holistic education. So I was working with the school there about trying to, to bring a lot of these ideas into practice, right? And then it just dried up, and it was like 1996. And that's when I moved into Toronto to teach full-time. And so I've been teaching ever since. And still, but the big... Uh, one of the uh, uh, teachers in the Toronto board, or a few of them, read my book, The Holistic Curriculum. They came to me in 2007, and they said, we want to start a school based on the idea of the connections, the six connections that are in the holistic curriculum. So in that school, and that school was approved. It was called the Whole Child School initially. And they had to change that to, to Equinox School because the problem with the whole child is people... Adolescents in grade seven and eight don't want to go to school. It's a whole child, right? They're, they're grown then, right? So they changed the thing to Equinox. So that started in 2009, and it now is the largest alternative school in Toronto with 200 kids. And I've had an ongoing like connection with that school. And I did a, I did a qualitative study of that school in 2000. I was two, it was two years ago. And I interviewed all the teachers, nine parents, and nine kids and I was just so impressed by, again, the enthusiasm and the commitment to teaching the, the whole child. And so in terms of, quote, my legacy or whatever, that school is very like, I'm just, again, I'm just, it just came out of nowhere, right? Like I didn't, I wasn't going around saying, well, you, somebody started school based on this. <laughs> right. You know, it didn't happen that way. It just, it just happened organically. And uh, is I, that school state funded or is it privately funded? It's, 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 it's a public school. It's a public school. It's a public school doing yeah. holistic education. And that's fantastic. It's, it's, it's yeah. you know, it's just a wonderful thing. And they, they started because they said, well, we hopefully we, we can be a model for other schools who want to go in that direction. And I'm going to Norway in October because they want to start a school similar in, in Norway. It's teaching story time. Briefly, teaching stories invite us to see the world with a new perspective, often featuring a wise person, a wise fool, or a trickster animal. They can be humorous and often have many shades of meaning shining throughout the story. I have told teaching stories for the past 40 years, and I love them, and I have to tell you, each time I tell one, I learn much more myself. For our first podcast... I'm going to tell a story with a wise teacher in order to give you a sense of the many ways a teaching story can be approached. There once was a wise teacher whose words of wisdom students would come from far and wide to hear. One day, many students began to gather in the teaching room. They came and sat down very quietly, looking to the front with keen anticipation ready to hear what the teacher had to say. Eventually, the teacher came in and sat down in front of the students. The room was so quiet you could hear a pin drop. On one side of the teacher was a large glass jaw. On the other side was a pile of dark gray rocks. Without saying a word, 
the teacher began to pick up the rocks one by one and place them very carefully in the glass jar. When all the rocks were in the jar, the teacher turned to the students and asked, Is the jar full? Yes, said the students. Yes, teacher, the jar is full. Without saying a word, the teacher began to drop small, round, pink pebbles carefully into the large glass jar so that they fell down between the rocks. When all the pebbles were in the jar, the teacher turned to the students and asked, Is the jar now full? The students looked at one another, and then some of them started nodding and saying, Yes, yes, teacher, the jar is now full, sure. Without saying a word, the teacher took some fine silver sand and let it trickle with a gentle sighing sound into the large glass jar, where it settled around the pink pebbles and the dark gray rocks. When all the sand was in the jar, the teacher turned to the students and asked, Is the jar now full? The students were not so confident this time, but the sand had clearly filled all the space in the jar, so a few nodded and said, Yes, teacher, the jar is now full, sure. Without saying a word, the teacher took a jug of water and poured it carefully into the glass jar. When the water reached the brim, the teacher turned to the students and asked, Is the jar now full? Most of the students were silent, but two or three ventured to say, Yes, teacher, the jar is now full, now it is. Without saying a word, the teacher took a handful of salt and sprinkled it slowly over the top of the water. When all the salt had dissolved into the water, the teacher turned to the students and asked once more, Is the jar now full? The students were totally silent. Eventually, one brave student said, Yes, teacher, the jar is now full. The teacher then said, A story has many meanings, and you will each have understood many things from this demonstration. Discuss this among yourselves. See how many meanings the story has for you. The students looked at the wise teacher in the beautiful glass jar filled with gray rocks, pink pebbles, silver sand, water, and salt. They quietly discussed with one another the many meanings the story had for them. After a few minutes, the teacher raised a hand and said, Remember that there is never just one interpretation of anything. You all have taken away many meanings and messages from this story, and each meaning is as important and as valid as any other. I chose this for the first podcast as it wonderfully illustrates the many meanings in a teaching story. Can you find meanings in this story about education? If so, send your insights to ba at lovemoreconsulting.com. A three-person panel will select the most relevant stories, and they will be read at the end of a subsequent podcast. Again, that's ba at l-u-v-m-o-u-r c-o-n-s-u-l-t-i-n-g dot com. I look forward to your insights and to learning from you. Those insights selected will receive a copy of the award-winning book, So Valuable for Parents and Educators, 
grow together. Parenting as a Path to Well-Being, Wisdom, and Joy by Dr. Josette Lovemore. Yes, we have the same last name, and we are married, and we have been working together in holistic education for more than 30 years. But that's not the reason I offer this book. Check out her many accolades and the book reviews on our website, lovemoreconsulting.com. So the work, you know, that uh, that work has been, in terms of, like, the connection with the, as you say, well, where is this work gone? That would be the main. But I know that, I mean, I run into teachers, and again, uh, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh ran a, uh, thing at Brock University, and uh, you know it was, he run these workshops for happy teachers, and we have happy teachers, then we have happy schools, or whatever it's called, right? And somebody was at that conference. It was in my class, like uh, I don't know, oh, way way over ten years ago. And she came up to me and she said, "Thank you for inter- making me." I was like, "quote an intellectual Buddhist," and thank you. And she had tears in her eyes. She said, "Thank you for making make me do the practice," right? so like uh again so more than anyone i know you've been able to bring the spiritual practices right to the education uh climate i yeah yeah. congratulations i mean to all of us for the gift that you brought that's a wonderful wonderful gift uh you know we all work with that and we talk about it but to bring the practice directly to them Hey, start here. Yes, work yeah. it out from there. There's lots of ways to go about this. Right. What a beautiful message. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I just believe that that we all need some kind of practice. <laughs> like it's because it's we're all in our head. I mean, the, the whole university world, they're all in their heads, Bob. Like it's just, you know. I know. It's one of the reasons I avoided it. I applaud you. That I why I became sort of an independent scholar and and uh, practitioner. Yeah. Is because I I personally didn't have the emotional stability really to deal with it. It pissed me off all the time. Exactly, right? Yeah. So um but again the whole like mindfulness thing now, now it's like, you know, it's so mainstream. Right. you know, it's everywhere. Right. It's a little yeah, scary. It's, it's a little scary yeah. because I don't think, you know, I mean, again, I think there is, quote, like a spiritual, <laughs> when you do it, it's it's about reverence and all that, right? And I, I think a lot of that's lost, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's an old Persian statement that says, if there wasn't the real, the counterfeit wouldn't exist. I can't pass you a $3 <laughs> bill. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So that's but what we have to live with. I, we have to live with it. But I, I'd rather have it than nothing, you know, because, again, there, there is enough goodness there that real transformation is going on in, in some places, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you had any, if you have a lot of contact with the Equinox parents. I know you just referred yeah. to the little bit of yeah. Yeah. contact. But I know that in my work over the years, the parents' uh, fears and yes. um, pullback to the cultural norms. I know. It's been excruciating for me and my loved ones, really, yes. at yes. times. Yes, yes. I mean, I have to say, there have been real challenges for the school with parents. And uh, they they had a couple of parents who created chaos for a while among, you know, among the staff and everything. But it, at this point, it, that's quieted down. And uh, the school right now is in a very good place. But I, they have gone through 
as you say, uh, some really difficult times. So challenging. And yeah. for those of us who had to also create funding, it was really, really difficult. I mean, I was just talking to Paul, as you know, in Salisbury. Yes. Yeah. And they own their land now. <laughs> I know. I was, I mean, it's, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you yeah. know me, I've tried different things over sure. the years. Yeah. It's it, the yeah. funding stream. It, then that's where the parents think they have this power comes in power, money, yes. fear. The whole thing. The right? whole thing. Yeah. It just yeah. chokes. Yeah. May anyone hearing this just try to think where do the resources really need to go? Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. So you've done so much. Um, I hear there's been a rumor, but I have to tell you, it's been around for several years that you're retiring. No. No. I'm I'm 74. I'm I I'm, I'm 70. Okay. I and I this year I moved to 50% because I have a pension now. I don't need to have a full salary and a pension, right? I, I felt guilty about doing that, but I still want to work, right? So I moved to 50% this year and I have no plans and I like I had the whole year off last year to do writing and I wrote this, you know, this book on love. And uh so I came back and I taught for the first time in a, in a year this summer, and I just loved it. I mean, uh, I know they say, "What am I going to retire?" Yeah, I know, say, like, "Retire from what? From exactly, life?" Exactly right. I mean, I mean, I will retire when my health gives out, right? And that will def- that will happen at some point, right? At some point. And uh, but as long as uh, like I'm teaching the spirituality course in the winter, and I've already got a waiting list of like thirty people. Right? I'm sure. <laughs> sure. But again, because we don't offer enough in this realm, right? Yes. And uh, uh, so, and because I've cut back, I'm, I'm just doing two instead of four. There probably be a little bit more demand. Uh, although this this summer I was fine. I did. It was not. I didn't have a waiting list. I had 22 people, and it was it was just lovely, right? And uh, and again, in the teaching, I just try to. We start with a circle get the chairs, I mean, get the tables out of the way. Yes. <laughs> and again, the university environment is they set these tables up. Oh, I know. And, you know, they, they have a, already, that sets a model of learning. That's in their mind. It's like the seminar, right? And people like giving these like presentations and, you know, no flow of energy, right? Right. Just stuck. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. It's just, yeah, so... Uh, the, 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 like, and again, I think the physical setting of of our classroom and how we how it's arranged is so incredibly important. Right? Every, every little part of it, yeah, no question yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. Wow, I, I have so many questions. I, I don't even know where to go. I, I, to me, there's always this question of the courage that we've all had to somehow find. Yeah, yeah. And I know for me, it wasn't a second. There was a point where it was just, what else could I do? Was it yeah. like that for you? Yeah, well, like, it's interesting that the, the year that my wife died in April 1988, that sort of gave me the courage that summer to require them to do the meditation, right? It was just something there. I said, well, I face death, right? Well, I can do this. Like, this has got to be easier than, you know, seeing my wife die, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> did, you, did, did you know Phil Gang? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Phil lives in Portland now. 
Yeah, I heard. Uh, we yeah, become yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. actually, he was my first uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah, okay. And his yeah. wife, uh, Marsha, um, sunk into Alzheimer's, and then she's passed. Yeah, and Paul he, told me. Yeah, yeah and he's yeah. come out with this film, and he says... I heard it's a really nice film. It yeah. is a really nice film. And he said the same thing. He said, uh, you know, it's... And I've known this from my own grief. Grief is cleansing and yeah. liberating yeah. Yeah. and yeah. so meaningful. Yeah, yeah. And it's so... Yeah. it's. I, I think that's another thing people are so afraid of. Yeah, yeah. They're afraid of grief. They're afraid. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so wow. that, that, I guess, quote, gave me the courage to do that. And, you yeah. know, yeah. Wow. Well, um, I'm just looking at my watch. Okay. I know yeah, you're well, a wanted man. Yeah. Can you just speak a little bit? You've really brought different cultures into this conference and yeah, yeah, into yeah. my world and our world here. Yeah. Did that just happen because you were known or did you it go out and seek that? It, one of the transform things in my life, again, I wrote, I wrote the, the book Holistic Curriculum in the same year that I uh, introduced the meditation. And Holistic Curriculum was published in 1988. In 1994, I got a letter from people in Japan saying they had, they, were, they had translated the holistic curriculum, again, on their initiative without anything from me. And then they said, would you come to Japan, right? So I, my first trip to Japan, 1994, I spent nine weeks teaching at, one, at this women's university there in Kobe, which I've had a continuing contact since then. And that's how I met my present wife as well. Uh, I, I don't think you've met Meadery. No, I haven't. But she is one of the most like um, healing presences of any person I've ever. She's the happiest person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> <laughs> she's just an incredible human being. And so, again, is uh, that not unbelievable? It's unbelievable. It's like the chances of us. And again, so she, when I have been working in Japan, she has translated. We've like basically teach a course together because. When she translated, it all comes out through her, right? <laughs> and that led to contacts with people in Korea. And my student, Yoshi Nakagawa, went back. Who I'm going to do a podcast Yes, is, has become the leader in organizing what's called the Asia-Pacific Holistic Network, where it brings all these people, again, from Thailand, Korea, Malaysia, um, together once a year. And that, the first one was about five years ago. And this one is the, the, this one this year is in Thailand, right? And what the great thing is, they're coming here. This is the first time they've ever come over to a North American conference, and that's William Green. He's the one who's really amazing. Yeah, he's amazing, amazing right? man. Yeah, and he's the one that's really made that happen. And uh, and again, I've just I've learned so much by being in Japan, being with those people. It's been incredibly like humbling. <laughs> And, you know, just to be in another culture like that on a long... And I've been very close to my wife's family. I was there when her mother died and experienced what a, what a funeral is like there. It's much different than it is over here. I taught... Uh, I had my 10-year-old and 11-year-old students study funerals around the world. Yeah. And it just really blew their minds. Yeah. Then we went to cemeteries and crematoriums yeah. yes. yeah. here in America. Yeah, yeah. You want to take a look? Here's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I just think they deal with death better there than we do here. It's, it's much more, much more grounded. That's why I'm going to do a little yeah. thing on okay. Sunday around yeah. children and death. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
Wow. Well, lucky you. I mean, and blessings. But again, I, I never you. planned any of this. Like, I never, I'm not a good self-promoter, right? I'm not either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I never promoted my books very well. Like, you know, you're supposed to run around and... and Four hours is great. He got like 20 endorsements, right? Unbelievable. <laughs> and I, if I get two, I'm happy, right? So, but, so I just, you know, I'm just, uh, just grateful for what's ever happened to me. Yeah. Well, I just, we're out of time. Just one last question. I, I would like you to say something to the people on the edge, whether they're educators or parents who are looking and seeing the corruption of the mainstream schools and are saying, well, what else is out there? And there's all kinds of independent schools and there's just like in yoga, there's counterfeit and real. What can you say to them to uh, allow them to give them the courage to begin to explore something new? And what should they look for? Yeah. Well, they should look for allies, other parents, other teachers, and uh, if they can, again, the school system varies so much, but some school systems, again, like the Toronto Board, they are very receptive to groups of parents coming together and say, we would like this kind of school, right? So I, it has to be a ground-up thing. And uh, hopefully, and if, and if you have to go private, you go private. But that's the... Each... each each of those has pluses and minuses, right? I mean, you have more freedom if you can get the money to do a private school. But it's the, as you say, the funding is such a problem, right? But if you can get a public system to support, and that's what I would like, the public system I think should have like a rainbow of, of schools, right? Yeah. And not one model fitting. Right. Great. Thank you. Meetings with Remarkable Educators is a production of Lovemore Consulting 2, LLC. Copyright, Ba and Josette Lovemore, 2018. Our sound engineer, Dimitri Young. Our webmaster, Nathan Young. And our all-important media maven, Cleo Young. All podcasts are transcribed with show notes and can be found at lovemoreconsulting.com slash podcasts. Please visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash remarkable educators to help us reach more listeners and to invite more remarkable educators to engage us with their inspiring work and ideas in holistic education. Bob and Josette Lovemore would also like to thank Self-Designed Graduate Institute. We teach there, and at Self-Design, we nurture each learner's ability to explore inner and outer worlds and discover his or her own deep understanding and vision. Go to the SDGI website and see for yourself. That's www.selfdesigninstitute.org. This is Ba Lovemore, reminding you that holistic relationships with children leads to joy and self-knowledge with the adults in their lives. With respect for you and for children everywhere, see you next time.